you are listening to Single Serves. My name is Arno Marturet and I am your host. Single Serves is a podcast dealing with design, architecture, business, and city building in which I interview an expert on a specific subject matter. Together, we dive into that topic and challenge conventional thinking in a thought-provoking conversation. I sincerely hope that you will find these conversations as engaging as I did and learn a thing or two in the process. Don't forget to send us your comments, criticism, and praise. To do so, you can email us at hello at rvltr.studio or leave a comment online. You can also subscribe to the podcast on our website at rvltr.studio and follow us on social media under the handle at revelator underscore T-O. It's R-E-V-E-L-A-T-E-U-R underscore T-O. Dion Vashina is the founder and principal designer at Denizens of Design. She has extensive international experience in hospitality design and branded environments. Recently, Dion has focused on research in design strategy, the business value that good design thinking brings to a project. So thanks, Dion, for being on the show. It's a great pleasure to have you. Thanks, Arnaud. It's nice to chat with you today. So can you start by telling us who is Denizens and what you guys do? So Denizens of Design is a company I started about six years ago. Um, it was born out of, um, you know, just, a, well, first of all, I was let go from for the second time uh, from an architecture firm that I was working at for quite a few years. And I started to think, what, what is it that I enjoy about working within the industry? And what is it that I'd love to change? Um, and that sort of brought me to start Denizens. So I started out um, really just gained some projects through word of mouth, people who knew that I'd lost my job, people who didn't know and just really wanted to work with me. And it, it built into something very collaborative where um, I am the principal designer and I don't have a permanent team. So what I do is build a project team on a basis, on a per project basis. So we've worked with um, clients out of Spain on hotels in Mexico, where there was a local architect that was on board as part of a team, um, working locally in Toronto with subcontractors and freelancers, other architects and designers. And it just really allows for our projects to have a team that's invested and interested in, in being involved in the project. So a lot of times with bigger companies, my experience in the past was that, you know, you're just you're inundated with work and you, whoever is available starts to work on that job. Um, but with this model, it really allows the people that are, if they're available and interested, then they're sort of invested and it always allows for, for a greater outcome for our clients. And that's a very interesting model because I've heard more and more people in the last few years kind of going on their own and not going the route of starting up an office with employees, but doing what you, exactly what you did, which is put together a team of people that can help them in, under various circumstances and then um, pull people from that team onto specific projects as the need arises. And I think it's uh, it, it seems like it's almost a model of the future and uh if nothing else, a very, at least a very interesting kind of practice. Um, so you said you've been doing that for six years. How has that worked out for you so far? Yeah, that's always the second question. Here's this great model you have, but does it actually work? And I have to say so far, so good. Like it, I haven't seen any um, major issues. If there is a team member that's 
not pulling their weight, I have the ability to sort of switch those people out um, and the client is left not feeling that burden. So it's worked really, really nicely. Um, and we've been fortunate enough, often when you're, you're sort of a smaller practice, it's hard to get the types of projects that, especially for someone like myself who came out of working for a big architecture firm, working with big name clients, um, you know, my first project out the gate was for a major um, resort and hotel company in Mexico. So the possibilities are there and it's just about educating clients and even the teams on this sort of new way of working, but it's worked out well so far. That's great. And it's great to hear. So uh, let's switch gears a little bit. And you and I uh, decided to have that conversation to talk about the state of hospitality. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. And can you tell us how you've adapted um, in relation to the COVID crisis? So, I mean, ultimately, when COVID hit back in March and everyone went into lockdown, it was it was an adjustment for everyone. There was different levels. Uh, I, have, I have a tendency to um, not panic in these situations, which is good, and just sort of let things settle and see where things are going. Um, but it was you know, difficult to watch clients who were building their, building their hospitality empires really have to frantically reinvent their business time and time again. And so that opportunity, you know, gave me the opportunity to step back and work on the things that typically don't have, I don't have a lot of time to do, like marketing, uh, social media, things like podcasts, and just getting my name out there, but also taking a break for personal and then I think as things started to, we started to adjust to this way of living. I don't want to use the word new normal or <laughs> unprecedented times, which I guess I just did, but <laughs> they, are, they aren't my favorite, favorite terms for this. Um, well, there's, they're a bit tired <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So uh, we allowed everyone to um, adapt and adjust at their own pace. And ultimately it was our clients that we've built relationships with over the last six years that were the ones to come forward to say, okay, we're adapting, but we're actually, we're doing okay. And we want to, we want to continue um, with some new projects or continue with work we were already doing. But there, there was definitely a, a bit of a hold in the beginning. I think most people saw that either projects that were on the horizon, just going completely quiet or projects that were about to start or midway through being put on hold some of them coming back, some of them not, but also uh, mm -hmm. some new opportunities that, that came forth during the time. And so in terms of adapting, wasn't much of an adapting to like change our course in terms of hospitality. Like we've really um, stayed true to those clients and waited with them to see where they needed to be. And we've been fortunate enough to be able to do that. Um, but adapting the way that we do these hospitality projects and, and how we can innovate and adapt with our clients to, to the new processes that they're dealing with. Um, and that's, that's been interesting to navigate. I have kind of a double question next for you. How does someone like you help your clients adapt and survive a crisis like the one we're in right now? And do you have specific examples of what that looks like? So you mentioned in the beginning, uh, a bit about my bio and you mentioned the research that I've been doing into business strategy. So often design leaves out that element. It can be just about aesthetics or code. Um, what the typical parts of a design project that you would expect, 
But we really key into the business value uh, that design can bring to a project. So thinking strategically with the clients on how they can get the best value out of their projects now in a state where putting money into things can be a little bit risky. Um, if you, so for one of our clients, they had the means, but they were also concerned about the market. So we approached, or they approached us with a project um, and we discussed the idea of designing it in a, in a new way where they didn't have to put up their full upfront costs for their build out. So this project uh, I'm speaking about is a restaurant project. Uh, we were approached mm -hmm. after the lockdown, after the pandemic. So it was a new project. It wasn't in, it was in the works actually. I'm sorry. It was in the works in the, in the past and had been held, but it wasn't our project at the time. So it was something that they had uh, been thinking about, but it wasn't something they were slating to start. And so they decided to, to move forward with us. And the idea that we came up with was to work on, um, it's a fast casual restaurant. So there would be a counter service component as well as seating areas, uh, grab and go, the whole gamut that you would typically see in a fast casual restaurant. However, we, we worked with them to determine what were the key elements that are needed right now in order to open up and function and what are the elements that you could uh, leave until a little bit later, but also having to design with those elements in mind. So in this case, the, all of the seating areas were left open. The grab and go area has been built in because it's part of the general counter and structure but there were additional grab and go elements that were, were put on hold so that, you know, when the capacity is increased, these components can kind of be added back into the project um, without having to have the upfront spend of designing and detailing all of those elements. So it was interesting to design a space with a big empty seating area, but still trying to define the shell of that space so that it can fit those future components. And it, allowed the client to save at least 30 to 40% of their build cost by not having to do those components now. Mm -hmm. um, so you had mentioned uh, offline the idea of um, doing business intelligence uh, to kind of innovate. Can you tell us a little bit in more detail what business intelli intelligence is and how has that impacted maybe this project or others uh, since, uh, since the beginning of COVID? So when we talk about business, business intelligence as it relates to design and design strategy, it's really keying into what are the value adds for a business? What is this business trying to achieve? You know, for a restaurant, they're trying to make sales of their, their food products and food and beverage products. Um, they're trying to target a specific demographic and keep those people coming through. So these are all the elements of a project that are important for the client but are not always necessarily tied to the design. So when we merge these together, we can create a design that actually helps increase the value of those, those business attributes that the client is looking to achieve. A lot of times you go in and you do a design based on strictly aesthetics or, okay, what's the brand and what do we want it to look like to reflect the brand specifically, but we don't necessarily think about what specific details or how does a client or a customer move through the space? I mean, those should be important factors in, in any good design. Um, one uh, model I can speak about that we did before COVID was with um, 
a couple of our museum partners and our hospitality partners, the Food Dudes. We worked on Clay Restaurant at the Gardner Museum and just recently finished uh, the McMichael Cafe at the McMichael Canadian Art Collection. And both of those projects um, took aspects of the functioning of their spaces. These are both restaurants that uh, are open during the day as lunch cafe space for museum guests. But in the evenings and on the weekends, these spaces would be used for events. So often what would happen is whatever furnishings uh, and products they had on site for the cafe would be stored away. And then rental companies would come in with, with furniture and bid out the space for an event. And all of that revenue for the rental furniture was going for, to these third party companies. So we worked with both uh, the gallery and the museum to develop a strategy where they were putting a little bit more upfront into designing modular furnishings and features to their space and designing multiple layouts so that they could reuse uh, the, the restaurant uh, pieces to service events. And now they no longer are taking that revenue and giving it to third party companies. It's all happening internally. So it decreased the amount of time that was needed to flip from a daytime service to a nighttime event. Uh, it actually brought the venue cost up for the customer, but brought the rental fees down. So the customer is saving money. And because it brought the mm -hmm. venue fee up, it was bringing more revenue in for, for the galleries. So this was a new model that we developed with, with our clients and really keying into that business value in the design decisions and what we were, we were creating for them. But that's just one model. And I think that's something that we can apply to a lot of, that's the whole point of design strategy and business, about, uh, business intelligence. You can, apply, you can apply these strategies to different types of business models. And we were already seeing um, people adapt and, and change the, the landscape of hospitality, food and beverage prior to COVID. Things like ghost kitchens or, you know, people using spaces for dual purposes. So mm -hmm. these are the types of strategies that can be implemented, especially in these difficult times where it's already hard enough and you're seeing restaurants adapt into grocery stores in, you know, fine dining into at-home service. So these types of things that these clients are already doing to save their restaurant can now be applied to the design process going forward. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And it's very clever, actually, because it, it really drives home the idea that uh, hospitality design goes way beyond designing a pretty space, which I think way too, way too many designers are focused on. Um, I've seen so many projects that look great in pictures, but then uh, there's some aspect of it that's terrible once you're in the space uh, trying to use it the way it's intended to. So I think that's very clever. I, I have a an interesting question for you, and, and I'm very curious to hear the answer. When you help clients save money like that, I mean, obviously you probably charge design fees like everybody else, but um, do you charge based on the value you bring to them and do you get more money the more money you help them save? We don't work that way. Um, we we work in a way where we want to be paid for for the value of the services that we provide. So we put, we put a value on that as a service, but if we're saving them on one project, you know, 
10% and on the next project, 20%, it doesn't really impact the fee on the project. The fees are more based on the amount of work that is necessary to achieve the, the product and, or the project. And my, my whole thing as a person is that I, I want everyone to be treated fairly. So I want the design team to um, receive a fair fee for their services, but I want the client to also feel like they're not being cheated. And so we, mm-hmm. we work in a way where we pass along our trade discount without a markup. There's so many different ways of, of doing that in this industry. And it's led to a lot of clients feeling, feeling a bit cheated. I mean, I've heard stories of hospitality designers who, I mean, I don't know, I'm not naming names, so I can give an example. There was an artist who was doing this mural and it was being run through the design firm and the design firm charged the client, you know, $25,000 for this mural, but they were paying mm-hmm. the artist only 5,000. And the client, the client mm-hmm. came back and asked for a reduction in the mural cost. And instead of reducing their insane markup, they went to the artist and asked the artist to reduce their, their fee. So I hear things like this and it, it's just brings to light why, why there can be this level of mistrust when you're meeting new clients because everyone's working in such a different way. And I hope that we can come to a place where design teams, architects, designers, we're all working for the greater good of the community and working on similar models that benefit our clients. And I'm not saying that all companies are out to cheat people and there's a certain level of of business strategy to adding markup to things. I understand that, but our model is really just about the value of our services and not making money off the products that we specify for you. Fair enough. We've all seen those or heard those horror stories of people uh, doing uh, unethical things like you just described. Um, but I think there's a misconception uh, in the industry I've, I've heard and seen uh, many times of people who don't charge enough for their design. So they try to make up for it in uh, marking up products or, or um, not giving their discount away, which I think is not a good business model because you're reliant on uh, product costs to make money as opposed to just being straight up with your clients say this is what we call co- this is what we charge but we're very transparent and uh, this is the kind of value we deliver and that's why we might be more expensive than someone else so I think it's very interesting to see that you're moving in that direction um, where do you see the hospitality industry going in the future near and far well near I mean it's so difficult no one has a crystal ball for what's going to happen um Ultimately, we've been living this for the last, what, 10, 11 months, and um, we have vaccine on the horizon. There's lots of speculation, but I think what many hospitality business owners are going to be seeing in the future is just doing whatever they can to survive, and designers need to be prepared to just wait that out and not put pressure on their clients to, to build out something if they can't afford to do it. However, for those that can't afford, this is a great opportunity because there's a lot of cheaper rents, better deals with landlords, uh, buildings for sale. If you have that ability to buy your property, um, you can probably get a good deal and take advantage of the downtime and be ready for when things pick up again. Uh, In terms of how uh, spaces will be designed or how hospitality spaces will function. A lot of what I've already mentioned about dual purpose spaces, ghost kitchens, getting your, your um, food service like Uber Eats, skip the dishes, skip the dishes and uh, all those other sort of partners 
um, get your counter service going while leaving your seating area empty, all these sort of little strategic things you can do ahead of time while you wait this out. And then in the more further future, maybe a couple years out, I think we're gonna see a little bit of residual effect from all of this. Um, in particular, when it comes to uh, food service, a lot of the, the fine dining and sit down service restaurants, I think they're gonna start to be utilizing more of a takeout model um, or hybrid of that and keeping that going mm -hmm. because they've seen the benefits of it. There's still going to be people that don't want to go out. So there'll be the people that are longing for it. And then there'll be the people that are still not comfortable. So it'll be good for them to keep that on if they can, when it comes to hotels, which is something that we do as well. And I have to say the hotels are definitely the projects that have held and stayed that way, but there's a great opportunity, especially, I mean, we're based in Toronto um in the areas surrounding toronto as we move through the new year and people are eager to travel but can't really leave the country people are looking for those local kind of motel resort communities to to get away to get some semblance of a vacation so i think for hotel industry things like uh, contactless entry especially something like a motel where you could have uh, some type of code and then you just get right in your door without having to go to a concierge, um, keeping as much face time away from other people while still having that opportunity for a retreat, I think is something that we will see a lot more of. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So in light of all, all the opportunities that you've just mentioned briefly, um, what do you typically advise your clients to do to respond to the crisis? Well, I don't necessarily advise them on how to respond to the crisis because I think it's a very individual thing. Mm -hmm. These are businesses, but they're still businesses run by people. And actually, if you go on our website, which I'm sure you can link in the, in the show notes or however you, you do this, mm -hmm. um, we in the summertime did a uh, a white paper on the future of work and i think that applies mm -hmm. to all businesses it was focused a lot on office space but the the model of how you assess where your business needs to go um can be applied to hotels and restaurants as well and at the end of the day you it's important for organizations to look within and look at their individual employees, what they can withstand, who they are, what their brand is, and, and where they can go next and where they feel comfortable going. And then, and then that's how I advise them. It's almost like, <laughs> I get this a lot, but sometimes my clients say, it's like you're a therapist. Even just navigating between, um, even in a bigger corporation, a CEO and COO who are, are disagreeing on the direction to go and, when it comes to design, often we're navigating these differences in personalities and trying to just keep them on track with what their business is and what they're trying to achieve and how our design services can help them get there. So it definitely is an individual assessment and just using common sense and design experience and knowledge, but also reading the room. You know, you, you never know what someone's going through. And so I, I, often try to take a step back and and just be a listening ear especially right now 
uh, a lot of compassion comes into how we navigate dealing with this because I know, especially for hospitality, it's very hard right now. So having a little bit of that empathetic ear right now, I think has been really valuable to our clients that we're not just architects or designers that are robots. We, we're human too, and we're here to listen and, and help. Yeah, I think empathy is welcome anytime, but especially in times like these, for sure, it's it's probably it's. I think it's come. For, it's be, it's gone from being uh, nice to have to being a necessary thing to uh, to include in the design process because there's so much pressure and stress and anxiety on all fronts. That uh, yeah, I think you're on the right on the money. Clients need to be. Uh, to be reassured in any way uh, they can. So, um, you know, we've we've touched briefly on a number of new trends or paradigm, paradigms or new things that have popped up in the hospitality sector. Uh, which of those are you particularly um, interested in or you think are good and will likely be uh, more and more prominent in the future? Well, um, I've been working on this model with the... Uh, gallery restaurants and the sort of dual purpose spaces pre-COVID mm -hmm. and that's something that I really believe in. Um, mm -hmm. Ultimately, all of these strategies I think are great, but that is the one that um, I'm most focused on and most passionate about because I really believe in it and I've seen that I've seen its value. I mean with with Clay Restaurant at the Gardner Museum, the return on investment was in like in a year, less than a year. So I've seen that value um, right before my eyes in a short amount of time. It's a little mm -hmm. bit different because now we're in COVID and big events are something that's we're not too sure about, but I can guarantee that when it is safe to do that, that people will be longing for it. So I think it's something to keep our eyes on. In the meantime, I think that this model of partially designing spaces with the the idea that you'll do more later is the way to go if people have the means to do it. And I think it's something that we'll see more often. Companies that were known for their fine dining will start bringing forth more quick service style restaurants uh, to sort of get them through these times. And, and I think those are the, the ones I definitely think will be at the forefront, but I, I think for spring and summer, locally in Toronto, Ontario area, the hotels and small bed and breakfast hotel model, I'm already seeing and hearing about a lot of projects that are starting up in that realm because people are preparing for, for that boom of guests in the, in the spring and the summer, and they're starting to, to get those mm -hmm. projects going now. So I definitely think that's one to watch. I guess I just said that I just I just said that all of the projects that I've mentioned are gonna happen, but I think they're all viable. It's just when when they'll be viable. So well, knock on wood. Um, I have one more question for you is what would you what advice would you give to both designers and clients alike um, to prepare for the next crisis, maybe the next pandemic? Um, hopefully it won't be anytime soon, but um, what, what would you do differently? Um, that's a really great question. I, I'm not sure if I would do anything differently. I, I'm quite proud of the way that I've handled this pandemic. I actually ha have been quite an anxious person in my past, and I've really worked on that. So during 
the initial weeks of this pandemic when the old me would have been quite worried and concerned and panicked, I was actually like the pillar in my community helping people to feel a bit calmer by just trying to, to get them to not freak out right away and, and really just take a step back and realize this is out of our control. I think that's something that's so important to remember. We're all going through this at the same time and panicking is not going to, to, to help you get further with, with where you want to be. So I definitely think from both a designer and a client's perspective to, to try and stay calm and just let the, let things settle before you, before you move forward. I think one thing that I did notice a lot with, with some designers and maybe it's a good thing to be innovating and thinking about what's next and trying to, to come up with new strategies for clients. Um, but also to recognize that don't let your bias for your need to design get in the way of what your clients actually need. So in the couple of restaurants that projects that have started since COVID, I've been very compassionate with those clients about, you know, are you ready for this? And if this is something you're, you're ready to do, then I'm here to support you. But like, I'm not going to push you in any certain direction. And so I think that's really important to, to stay, take a step back from your needs as a business, because at the end of the day, we're all businesses. But I think it just brings a more honest approach when you're not trying to sell, sell people on something, especially right now when it's a difficult time and just let them be, be there and be ready and be helpful. Um, but don't necessarily try to push or steer people in a specific direction. You can guide them with your knowledge and your research, but allow them to make that decision because at the end of the day, it's their business. And there's a lot of risk right now more so than there ever has been and if there was a future pandemic again or if it got a lot worse in the new year that's that's something we're all trying to fight to survive but it will come back and i think it you, it's a better look if you're if you're leading with compassion and i think that's excellent advice to end on so i want to thank you dion very much for your time and your uh your great insights, and uh, I look forward to the next conversation. Thanks, Arno. It's been great. Hey, Arno here. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and that you'll come back for more. Please share with your friends and colleagues, and remember to subscribe on our website at rvltr.studio. Until next time, ciao.